Hi everyone, it's Chris Lasarenko from Revolutions Per Movie. The show is a completely independent affair, so if you feel like supporting the show, the best way is to go over to patreon.com slash revolutionspermovie, where in exchange for your support, you can get weekly bonus Revolution Per Movie episodes, stickers, membership cards, upcoming guests include Anne Magnuson of Bong Water, Bob Burt of Sonic Youth and Pussy Galore, Jerry Casali of Devo, and Homer Flynn of The Cryptid Corporation, representing the band The Residents. So please consider supporting the show over at patreon.com slash revolutionspermovie. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Enjoy the show. Our guest this week is Annie Zaleski. She's an award-winning author, journalist, and editor with profiles, interviews, and criticism. Bylines include Rolling Stone, NPR Music, The Guardian, Salon, Time, Billboard, The AV Club, Record Collector, The Los Angeles Times, and Stereo Gum. She contributed the liner notes to the 2016 reissue of R.E.M.'s Out of Time and Game Theory's 2020 collection Across the Barrier of Sound, Postscript, and wrote Duran Duran's essay for their 2022 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, and is currently an editor for the 33 and a Third series, working with writers to shape their books about records. And it is my pleasure to welcome to Revolutions Per Movie, Annie Zaleski. Hi! Hi, thanks for having me. Well, okay, how many times did you see Duran Duran this week? <laughs> Only like literally three, which is hilarious. Um, Tru- yeah. Truthfully, right? Three times. Truthfully, yeah. I saw them on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, and then I saw them both Saturday and Sunday this past weekend. We're filming this on a Monday. So yeah, I saw them two days in a row this weekend. We're going to be talking about the videos of Duran Duran. Annie, you wrote an amazing 33 and a third book about Rio and their influence on music video culture and fashion. Did you see Duran Duran first, like a video, or did you hear them first? It's a really good question. And from what I can remember, I sort of came to their videos and music at the same time. So I came to them circa Ordinary World. And so this was around 1993. I was in like junior high and I would come home and watch MTV every day after school. And I remember seeing the Ordinary World video. And it's funny because my best friend at the time reminded me in the last couple of years that apparently when the video came on, I would call her because I was so excited that, hey, Ordinary World's on. (laughs) So I really, really loved that. And at the same time, there was a, a radio station in Cleveland where I grew up that played a lot of Duran Duran. And like, I was obsessed with listening to the radio when I wasn't watching MTV. And so they would play the 90s stuff. And then I think they would also play like the 80s flashback stuff because like alternative radio was so awesome at that time because they would basically have, you know, retro hour and let's have old songs and new songs. And so I think all the 80s songs were there, too. So I feel like I came to them at like pretty much exactly the same time. Well, what was it about them that resonated with you? Because you can't really separate Duran Duran, their imagery and their videos from their music. They're just like completely intertwined. You know, I think it was Ordinary World. So that if, if you know, if people have not seen that video, it's this very, um, it's very stylized video. It takes place at a wedding um, fitting because it's the wedding album is the album sort of that where it came from. Um, and it was just like this. I mean, an Ordinary World in general is a very moody song. It's a very uplifting song, um, but it's a very meditative song. You know, Simon Le Bon, he's been, he's been saying on stage this tour, you know, it's about 
realizing, you know, and embracing the life that you have and accepting that rather than the one you thought you would have. Um, it was part of a trilogy that he wrote to a friend of his who passed away um, way too early. And so I think as like a kid, as a teenager, you know, I really, it really resonated right. with me because I was like, I'm sad. I'm a teenager. And so, you know, I'm all moody. And so that resonated with me. And I think just the the, the video was very different. It was very, um, you know, I think in the early 90s, a lot of the rock music videos, if you think of stuff like, you know, Nirvana and Pearl Jam, it was all very kind of, you know, dark and very, you know, obviously it was grungy. And so it was a little bit like, you know, scary, maybe ominous a little bit. And this was a video. It had a lot of just really beautiful kind of color hues in it. And it right. was just, you know, it just looked different than everything else. It was just very, um, and, you know, now that I'm older and I can kind of put it in context with the rest of Duran Duran's catalog, it makes total sense in, you know, their entire body of video work. But it just it just looked different. And it was just and I think that was that's what they've always done really well is that whatever they're doing video wise, it looks a little bit different than what's going on at the time. What's kind of amazing to realize is, and you're talking about Simon LeBon's lyrics and how they, you know, how much they resonated is he, they were really young when they started this band and they had success. And Simon LeBon kind of doesn't get a lot of credit for I just don't think of him as a lyricist. I'm always just like, oh, he's just this handsome, charismatic front star. But he was the one who was writing all this stuff. And it's I just feel like he never gets talked about. No, he doesn't. And that's and I'm so glad you said that because I feel the exact same way. <laughs> that's that's part of the reason why I wanted to write the Rio sure. book so badly is I'm like, they need respect. They need respect. But yeah, Simon just, you know, as a lyricist, had such a knack from the very early start to have these kind of interesting turns of phrase that you think like, what does that even mean? But like it works with them. And, you know, 40 some years later, they sound amazing. They've aged incredibly well, you know, and it's just, you know, planet earth. What's so great about it is that that's like their mission statement. And they came out like right out of the gate with sort of like, this is who yeah. we are as a band. We're the new generation and we're coming, you know, to storm the world. And they kind of manifested that. Um, but yeah. And I mean, you know, the, what, what people do, it's been so fun on this tour is that he has the line, the new romantics looking for the TV sound. And at a concert in 1981, after that line, he said, switch it off for some reason. And it's become sort of a fan catchphrase. And so on this tour, he sings that line and then he kind of like puts his hand to his ear and the crowd will like yell it back at him. So there's even like these like rituals in his lyrics too. And everything that have really kind of built out of that. And I think that's, that's also just really cool and a testament to, you know, how they've kind of um, endured basically. Well, how many times do you feel like you've seen the planet earth video? A lot. Um, Can I ask you a question? Sure. Can you name any of the trivia that they put on the screen and computer fonts that go across during the breakdown? Oh, you know what? I would have to go look at that. And it's funny. So I wonder if it's actually still relevant now, if it's still true 40 years later, if it's like Earth trivia. They ask about the um, the surface of the Earth, the, the amount of miles. So uh, it could be pretty much the same. And then how many, well, definitely how many people are born every day is, yeah. that's way skyrocketed. And the oldest known song of all time. And then it just basically goes equals doomsday, doomsday, doomsday. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then they have people from the club that they used to perform at in the video too. What was that club called that they kind of the Rum Runner? Okay, yeah. what, what what was that all about? 
So that was a club that was owned by their managers and it was in Birmingham and it was sort of like they had, their managers had gone to New York and went to Studio 54. So they kind of brought that vibe back to Birmingham. And um, that was kind of Duran Duran's like headquarters, like the clubhouse, like they all had jobs there, you know, when they were joined the band, they had practice rooms there, like, you know, like Nick Rhodes was a DJ and like stuff like that. And so, yeah, it was like this like little hub of like decadence in the middle of Birmingham. Like there's um, there's all sorts of like Instagram footage, like photos of like some of the scenesters that were there. It was kind of like basically the analog of the Blitz Club that was in London. But it was amazing. Like Boy George would go there and there would be like bands occasionally played there. Um, I dug up some of the ads from like the vintage newspapers. They oh, would wow. have nights and like, it's amazing. It's it's completely just like this. And it's no longer there. There's like, there's a blue plaque kind of yeah. you know, say, this is where it stood. And so it's no longer there. But um, yeah, apparently it was just this like, you know, amazing place and a real incubator for culture and music and hipness and everything like that. Yeah, when I was on tour and playing Manchester for the first time, I made our tour manager. I was like, you got to take me where the Hacienda was. They're like, it's not there. And we just look at something that's not there. I'm like, okay, cool. That's, thank you. I needed to see it. What? Who else was in their scene at the time musically in Birmingham? It was, a, it was pretty small, correct? It was with the coolest thing in that, like, and I think this is one of the things that um, when I was doing the book, I was so thrilled to kind of learn about or help understand better is that everyone in Birmingham was doing like different things. And so like um, UB40 was a band that was, you know, had gotten a little bit of popularity in like 1980. So like right aside of Duran Duran was kind of, um, you know, coming together. And so, you know, they were very, you know, reggae influenced, um, you know, a little bit of tone kind of type thing. And so was Dexie's Midnight Runners. That was another band right. that, you know, Nick Rhodes told me about, hey, we you know practice near them. So just those three bands in general were just like so different. And then, you know, a decade before was all the metal. You had Black Sabbath and you had Judas Priest and things like that. But from what I understand, right. what was really cool about Birmingham is that was one of the, the cities kind of on the circuit. Like if you were a cool punk or post-punk or like early new wave band, you'd play Birmingham. So everyone in Duran Duran got to see like all of these amazing bands, like, you know, oh, I'm going to see Blondie or I'm going to see Susie or the Human League. So right. it wasn't really isolated either, which was really cool. And so you had all these bands that wanted to do their own thing and be different. And they were also able to go out and see all these bands doing different things. So it just like, you know, you talk about time travel. It's like, can I just go back there and just see all those cool shows? <laughs> I know. I know. Like, I'm sure you're, you would die to just be like, oh, I wish I could have seen them on the Rio tour. It would have been like a dream come true. Oh, well, absolutely. And, you know, I grew up in Cleveland and they were actually really popular here early on because there was a radio station that played them and like really supported them. They had a really supportive DJ. So they played at like, there was this tiny venue called Pirate's Cove, which was hilarious <laughs> because they were new romantic and they were like swashbuckling fashion. Simon mentioned that from the stage last night. He mentioned he's like, yeah, they had, you know, a big pole in front of the stage, which is completely true. And so they had this like they were they played like a sold out show and then they played a show at the Agora in Cleveland and, you know, less than a year later. And so it's like, God, you know, and I've seen pictures from that tour and it just looks so cool. Yeah. Oh gosh. You know, uh, oh, to be a decade. And a half <laughs> and I could have seen that. You recommended two ways to look at the videos of Duran Duran. One is they put out a pretty 
groundbreaking and influential video album at the time that I believe was up for a Grammy uh, for best like long form video uh, compilation. And then there's decades and they, they kind of coincide with each other. But the interesting thing about the video album is they also did little interstitial things to tie the videos together. So freest frame of Simon leaping off, he jumps off into, you know, to, to the void. It freezes. Then it's like, there's a photograph of that image on the ground and Simon picks it up and walks around. But I thought that was really interesting that they kind of took the effort to kind of make it even a little different for the fans. Well, absolutely. And I love what I love about the video album. And then, you know, when you know, there, you can find like it, there's a, it's never actually come out, I think beyond like VHS. And I don't even know if it's on Laserdisc. I don't think so. And so I think it's on beta probably. And so, but it's, it's online, you can find it. But the coolest thing is when I was like, you know, watching it with more kind of like a critical eye, it's like, it's a remix album in a way, like a, like a, a studio record, because you're right. All of the videos kind of flow into one another, the way they're arranged, like it's not chronological or anything. Like it's very much in a, you know, it's, it flows kind of visually. And so it's definitely a different way of presenting the band, but it's definitely, it's very deliberate and very thoughtful. Um, and what's so interesting too, is that like the, the versions of the videos that are on this, some of them, like, like Lonely in Your Nightmare, there's two versions of the video. There's so the, whatever the one that's on here, and then there's another one that's on YouTube. I've never quite figured out like where that one aired, if anywhere, and like, cause I don't think MTV actually had that in rotation at some point. I and never like, saw it. Yeah. And so like, I have no idea. It's, it, it seemed like exclusive to this, but then there's this other version. And when I interviewed Russell Mulcahy, I asked him about it and he didn't really have any strong memories, you know, one way or the other. Cause some of that was in Sri Lanka. Some of it was in London. So it was all like, you know, it's kind of one of those mystery videos and like careless memories. There's a version on the, the studio, the video album, there's another version that's on YouTube. And I'm not even sure when that came out either. And like someone actually did like a side-by-side -side comparison of it in terms of like how it was edited and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like, there's all sorts of in like planet, you know, girls on film, there's like, you know, the extremely X-rated version. And then there's like, you know, a tamer one, but there's like outtakes, like video, like photos we've seen from it that are not in either of them. So there must be like another version floating around. Like it's wild. There's no, like for some of these videos, I think there's no real like actual version of it just because they were remixed and stuff like that, which is, you know, part of Duran Duran's mystique, but it's also like, you know, it's, it's the never ending quest to find out exactly where all this stuff is too. What's interesting also about the remix thing is when I first saw Rio on MTV, the version that they would play was the U.S. mix of the yeah. album. So it didn't have all the squonky saxophone dissonance at the end. They totally scraped that. The U.S. did remix that record, right, for, for U.S. audiences. There are so many different versions of Rio and some of those other songs, like uh, you know, the, the title track and some of the other songs. And there is there's a great website that I always tell people that to go to. It's called DuranCompilations.com. And they've gone through like literally like granular, like, okay, if you want to know like what version of the song is on what, you know, here's the 12 different versions. Here's how you can find them. They've gone through it because yeah, there was the U S mix. And then there was, you know, which was on a single and then there was on the video and there were other things and it's, it's unbelievable. There's just so many different 
you know, ways to listen to the record. And there's, you know, Rio itself, there's so many different remixes of it too. Wow. So yeah. And, you know, and, and I think MTV probably did edits and, you know, something yes. like that. Like maybe if someone was taping that in maybe 1982, maybe that version would be on there, but like you would look at it later, maybe they played a different version. Like, Maybe that's lost to time. You know, who knows? Why were they remixing it for U.S. audience? What were they cutting out? What were they changing? Were they afraid of it being a little too weird or what? What was their concern? So a little bit. So what was so I mean, in hindsight, it's so funny. But when Rio came out, like it didn't sound enough like U.S. rock radio. Okay. And like U.S. rock radio at the time was like Van Halen and Rush and Fleetwood Mac. And so there was this very specific kind of sound to it. And Duran was a little bit different. There were, you know, they still had a lot of keyboards. You know, Simon's voice wasn't as high in the mix. And so it was definitely a little bit different. So, and it wasn't, Rio wasn't a success. Like Rio was huge in the in England and Australia. They were all good. But America, they wanted to break America and they just... It was, they were doing okay, but not doing amazing. And so what they ended up doing was they brought in this guy, um, David Kirschenbaum, who was notorious for, he discovered Joe Jackson and he'd worked with a lot of the um, British bands and to kind of remix it in kind of an American way. And so they basically put Andy Taylor's guitars higher in the mix, Simon's vocals higher in the mix, Nick's keyboards were a little bit in the background and they tweaked it just a little bit. And so that was kind of like one solution they did and so they made it sound a little bit more like for rock radio and then they also did extended remixes because at the time dance music was getting so popular so they kind of had this like twin sort of remixing to kind of get them in different audiences and that ended up helping break them you know that that's why they put out the carnival ep they put out this four song carnival ep that had a couple of older remixes from some of the earlier songs, a couple of remixes of the Rio songs to kind of like, you know, remind people, hey, there's this dance band. And so they tried both things and both things worked. Like it ended up connecting on all levels. But the funny thing is, is that, you know, all this was going on to try to break him at radio. They were huge on MTV. Hungry Like the Wolf was added to MTV like six weeks after Rio came out or like seven weeks after. So it was a huge video there. And Rio was added in September of 1982, which was like months before it was actually hit at radio. Yeah. So MTV was all over it. They were huge on MTV. It was just, you know, because not very many households had MTV yet. Right. So it wasn't necessarily as widespread. So, yeah, that was a bit of a problem for me when I was, you know, 13. Duran Duran were taking away from all of my other opportunities to have other things come on. You know, the, it, MTV was starting to really get cyclical in terms of this is what we're going to be playing. Here's our playlist. It's not deviating so much. And Duran Duran um, were just on, it felt like, all the time. And they had so many videos. So, you know, they, would, they could play a different video every hour. You know, you'd see Rio, Hungry Like the Wolf, Save a Prayer, um, then it'd be like girls on film and, you know, pulling stuff from behind because they were breaking in real time. Um, but it was it was frustrating because I kind of liked the music, but I also was like, these guys just look so successful and beautiful. And, you know, they're wearing these silk suits and they just like I, I, I don't have any connection with them. I've I grew up on like Devo and like Wall of Voodoo. And so to have something like this was kind of a little bit like, I want to like it, but I was skeptical of it. And, 
you know, I missed out on a lot of great music because, you know, I had to learn to like kind of separate the visuals from the music um, and and be like, oh, what is this? Oh, this is great. I I really like this. But it was it felt like it was kind of being shoved down our throats a little, too. And that was really interesting because MTV at, at that point, it was just really quirky. I remember they had like a Devo Hawaiian holiday contest throwing whatever they could it was like they didn't nothing made sense it was so i had to retroactively learn to love a lot of the things that were popular um and i i was it was wrong i mean it's not their fault that they were big and beautiful and young and talented but when you're 13 they looked they didn't look 19 or 20 you know they looked like successful jet setting just millionaires and uh it was there was something that was a little hard to relate to but maybe i was just jealous i don't know i think but i think that's such a good point because that's completely like you're completely right like that's they you know they had when they made rio you know i think like john taylor told me that they had basically only been around the world once like they spent 1981 traveling none of them you know most of them were not well traveled at that point so they were seeing all these places for the first time and they were sort of like almost like not play acting exactly but just sort of like you know we're going to get these suits and they were almost pretending to be like these worldly people because they hadn't you know they had very little experience doing that and they sort of manifested that like it was very aspirational but you do it's funny though you do look at their press photos from like late late 1982 into 1983 they all of a sudden they are they do look a lot older and i think it's maybe because of the styling i'm not sure if that was like the record label you know, trying to, you know, do something with that though. But like from like the Rio and like 1981, 82, like into 83, 84, it is very markedly like more adult and it's, you know, and you can, you can definitely see that. And I can totally see like, it's very, you know, uh, you know, for a lot of, um, you know, I think teenagers, uh, you know, having this like aspirational, like fancy, you know, musicians, like, okay, this is great. But like, if you're a little bit nerdier, if you're a little bit like, you're like, I can't, I'm not wearing a suit. You know? Guilty. Like, yeah, Guilty. exactly. And, you know, and I mean, I came to Duran, like, you know, free of, I think all of that baggage, which I think gave me an advantage why I was like, you know, I really like this. It was a lot more about the music and like, you know, they're, uh, the other video I used to love from them in 1993 was too much information. And they all had like crazy colored hair and like cool outfits that were all very like 90s suits. And so I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. This is kind of punk rock. So like I, I related to that. It was definitely a different version of them a little bit. And so it was a little bit easier to relate to as well. And in retrospect, you know, you you go back and the, they're kind of geeky. They're laughing at themselves a lot. They're not okay. as confident. As my teenage mind made them out to be, at least early on, like they kind of they're kind of taking the piss out of each other. I want to talk about Rio first, because I think that was the one that really set the ball moving for them on MTV. That's correct, isn't it? So I know. So you said you had MTV very early and doing my research from like planet Earth. I know got a little bit of airplay because I know Capitol Records sent that. Um, over to them. And I saw I, it on there. Yeah. And so, and I think Girls on Film, you know, when I, at the timing, you know, I know that it was when 
it was released as a single later in America. So 1983 and it got airplay then, but I, I, from what I can gather, it did get some airplay in like 81, 82. It was on there yeah. too. And so there yes. was a little bit, but it was like Hungry Like the Wolf and then Rio were like the two that really broke them. But I love, because what, what we were just talking about now with Rio, like it's, it that's the record, the video is such an interesting dichotomy because on the one hand, you have them wearing their beautiful suits on a yacht. You have Simon LeBon at like the front of the boat and this wind is blowing his hair and they're like, all looking amazing on the ocean. And that is like the eighties in a nutshell. That's how it's grown into. Absolutely. But then you look at like the actual like meat of the video and it's like slapstick humor, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, a crab has bitten my leg and I'm going to fall into the water and I'm going to get caught. And oh no, there's like a, you know, a fake uh, phone and I'm getting this, uh, there's a mischievous woman who's kind of stalking me and, you know, and like, you know, and I'm not getting her. So it's, they're all very like, you know, kind of making fun of themselves that they were like, you know, all right, we're just sort of like, you know, and I think it's been pointed out. They're like, yeah, you know, we don't get the girl in the video, you right. know, and it's very true. So it's such a, yeah, it, it's, it, it's such an iconic video, but on some level it's almost misunderstood in a way. And it is a little bit tongue in cheek, you know, it's not meant to be sort of the serious thing, but. Oh, that scene where he answers the phone that comes out of the water and he whips around. He kind of knows he's having fun with yeah. it. It feels like, but I, it, but it's interesting because the video is so ambitious. Yes. There's so many cuts. I, I did for a couple of these videos. I, I, I just timed the first 30 seconds and in the first 30 seconds of Rio, a, a mirror is broken in reverse. A sleeping woman on a dock is being spied on by one of the band members. Simon comes out of the water in a dress shirt with new wave sunglasses. He stares up at a spandex pink and blue striped female legs. Nick is wearing sunglasses that have superimposed on it with digital imagery. A model walking by in a yellow dress. The deck is splashed with water as a rope is pulled from a pulley. Someone picks up an orange ball. While between their legs you can see Rio walking in a purple dress laughing. Putting her hands in her hair, Nick, Roger, and John reclining on a boat while three orange balls roll by. One of them is bouncing the ball, and Rio is at the wheel of the boat getting smashed by water in slow motion. There's a zoom in of a compass spinning, three members posing in different ways, and a foot appears with pink dots painted on it. Water pours on it. Rio's bathing in the sun with green hair, having green water poured on her in the ocean. And that is the first 30 seconds of the video, the intro. It's dizzying. It's amazing. And it all ties together. It's very structured beautifully. There's, It doesn't feel as herky-jerky as what I just read. And that's Russell's genius, uh, director Russell, Russell Mulcahy. And like he had worked with, you know, McCartney and Elton John and he did Ultravox videos. And like he was just such a genius at figuring out how to film music videos and how to, you know, kind of, I mean, he basically helped really invent the genre, you know, music, modern music video. And just had, and Duran Duran were so good to work with. They were such good collaborators that they were able to make these, and you know, in the mini movies. And that's why they still like, even to this day, you're just like, how do you even do that? It's just so creative and just so vivid and just so adventurous and innovative. And he directed Highlander, correct? Yes. Amazing. <laughs> just right there. It's like, so you, you, t- you can see that. I didn't know that that he had directed the videos and done that film, but it makes total sense in terms of the madness of the world they're creating and 
you know, that the story doesn't necessarily have to make sense, but you're going to be with us and we're going to rip through this as quick as we can. So hold on. Exactly. Um, and, and Hungry Like the Wolf and Save a Prayer were shot at the same time. Yes. Correct? So Rio was in Antigua and that ended up probably why it was so silly is the band was on vacation and they they called them up and they're like, hey, we're going to shoot a video. And so they were like, all right, you know, so they were ready in paradise. But yeah, it was um, Hungry Like the Wolf, Save a Prayer, and then a little bit of Lonely in Your Nightmare um, was in Sri Lanka. Yeah. And it sounded like what they would do is they'd just be driving and they'd be like, oh, over here would be a great place to shoot the part where you come out of the forest and set a playback, do that part of the song and then be like, but over here, let's do the other song and have you walk through this. It's kind of amazing that they could keep it all together because although it was a, you know, it was a substantially priced music video, budgeted music video, it still wasn't that large compared to a lot of things that were going on at the time. Yeah. And compared to like where things would go too, you know, so it was, I think they really started that, but yeah, it was, um, you know, it was amazingly, I think, well-organized too. You know, I know that Russell, you know, that I think they did like the, you know, we're going to go a week in advance and we're going to kind of, you know, scout out everything. And then once the band got there, because the band mixed Rio and then basically got on a plane to go to Sri Lanka before they went on tour. And so, yeah, it was just really, um, you know, and on some ways it was a little bit like, you know, let's see, you know, we're, let's, you know, let's see what happens. And in other ways, it was extremely like, okay, we got to do this. You know, we have limited time here. So it was very organized. Right. Yeah. Well, this is also the point in Duran Duran's career where Simon is the lead actor. Oh, yeah. uh, he's in the majority of the thing. He's kind of on a mystery or some sort of adventure. And then the other people show up once in a while to save him or do something. I wonder, do you know if they were comfortable with that relationship of just Simon kind of being the star of these things? Was there any conflict with that? You know, I think because so Simon, um, it will surprise nobody if they don't know that he has he had an acting background. And so he was a little bit more comfortable, like kind of being the center of attention on camera. And, you know, someone like Roger Taylor, who the drummer, who's a lot shyer. And, you know, I mean, I think basically everyone was sort of like, you know, it was great fun, you know, even if, you know, uh, you know, maybe we're not necessarily as comfortable, but like, why not? You know, you're a young, you're in a band. It yeah. was exciting. Um, you know, someone like, you know, Nick um, is not a fan of boats. So like, you know, around Rio at one point, he did an interview where he was basically like, I like, you know, boats docked so I can have a cocktail <laughs> in my hand, like fully relate to that. Yeah. So, you know, it all depends, but I think everyone was sort of game and, you know, cause they trusted Russell and, you know, just because like, you know, why not? Let's have these wild ideas. Sure. Why not? But he did say that, you know, Simon was definitely the one who was like, I'm totally game for things because I'm an actor. And he was he's really good. I mean, that's the whole thing is that, you know, Hungry Like the Wolf, he's an excellent sort of like frontman adventure guy. You know, he does it really well, too. It's not cheesy. He doesn't seem like, you know, uncomfortable doing that like some of the other music videos of the early 80s right. where people look like they'd rather have a root canal than be on camera. You know, Simon, Simon was cool. Did he ever act in any movies? He didn't act in movies before that, but he was a theater porter. And then he studied drama at the University of Birmingham. Okay. Have you watched um, when Duran Duran took over the MTV studios to do the world premiere for Save a Prayer? Is that the one with Andy Warhol? Yes. Yes, I have watched that. Yes. <laughs> it, it's it's Simon and, and uh, Nick sitting on, on the soundstage. They've come back to them. 
And they're like, yeah, I feel something in the studio. Can you, what is it? And Andy Warhol's sitting between them with a camera taking photos of them. And they're just like, yeah, I can't put my finger on it. It's like a ghost. And they never acknowledge him. And he's just sitting there quiet. I thought that was kind of incredible. So they must have befriended themselves during this time at some point. So they met and or Andy Warhol on their first trip to New York in 1981. Their publicist at Capitol Records at the time when they were coming over to America, like, I guess they came over and said, yeah, we want to meet Andy. And they managed to do it. I mean, this was so mind blowing is that like there were um, I found a picture in like Billboard or Cashbox or something of like them meeting Andy Warhol and like showing him their videos from like 1981. And so they became fast friends, basically. And, but yeah, I love that. Like that is like one of my favorite like MTV things. And what's great is that Andy was actually taking pictures and those pictures are in his archives at like Stanford. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's like online. I was like, I was like, you know, kind of looking at things and I'm like, oh my God, you gotta be kidding. So there's like a whole contact sheet and, you know, they're, it's a little bit lo-fi, but you can see. And they, Simon mentioned that from the stage the other night in Pittsburgh, because they went to the Andy Warhol Museum when they were in town and spent like a very, I think they spent most of the day there. It's an incredible museum. Right. And so they, and he mentioned, he's like, yeah, you know, Nick and I did an MTV thing and Andy <laughs> was there. And I was like, oh, it's so cool. Cause wow. yeah, it's brilliant. You know, that, that really, I think embodies what MTV was early on. It was sort of like anything goes and let's have right. a good time. And it is so funny. I think that is the one thing that people sometimes forget that like Duran Duran are very funny. Simon especially right. is hilarious. And people, I think they think, oh, the band takes themselves very seriously. I'm like, no, no, no. They're kind of hilarious. And that sums it up right there. I wanted to talk about two videos I hadn't seen that really made an impression on me. The first one being Night Boat and the second one being The Chauffeur. Night Boat, that was definitely not an MTV. I didn't even, that was amazing. Some say it's a tribute to the horror film Zombie 2, the Italian horror film. And it was filmed before Thriller, but it is a zombie horror mini movie and there's a long section at the beginning where they're like of course they're on docks they love their docks and they love their (laughs) boats and they love this weird kind of jungle atmosphere and simon is reciting mercoccio is that his name from romeo and juliet yeah Yeah. He's, he's sitting there just into the void into the darkness and then there's like shots of like this mask that has no pupils in it and like mirrors breaking and it's got a definitely a Blair Witch kind of vibe. They're going mad in it. Do you know much about why, what, they're, where they were going with that? Because I think if it had been on MTV, it would have really made a mark so. um, in terms of music meeting horror for a band of that stature. It's funny. So they filmed that in Antigua along with Rio, which is like hilarious to think about because it's like pretty much the flip side (laughs) of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They had been planning this video album, just backing up for a really long time. Like this is something that even in like 1981, like before Rio, they were like, we want to make a video album. And so, and it, you read like different press from the time and the ideas evolved and it was one thing that it was another like over time. And so I feel like that something like that, they were sort of banking that for like, okay, let's see, you know, what we do. And so I feel like that's potentially like what that was basically filmed for. Okay. But it is great. Like it is literally, it's like a great little early eighties, like B horror movie. It's fantastic. I think if I would have seen that, 
I would have given them a little clout in a way because it is grittier and uglier and more sinister. And the chauffeur is kind of like that, too, because the song is so different than anything else on Rio. You know, it was just basically Nick and Simon composing that together, correct? There's not a full band thing. And it's such a cool electronic music song. But I didn't know there was a video for it. They're not in it. And it's got a definitely very like tip of the hat to the night porter with Charlotte Rampling in it. I was watching this video stuff with my wife who grew up in in Glasgow. And so she saw this stuff oh, when wow. it was coming out. But she was like, I don't remember all these topless women in these videos. She's <laughs> like, they did not we did not see these on top of the pops or wherever. Yeah. So again, was this a video that was kind of made for this video album? Yeah, and I believe so. Okay. Sadly, so the director was Ian Eames, and he sadly passed away in July. Um, and he was he was so lovely when I talked to him. He was amazing. He was so because he did a lot of Pink Floyd's animation. Oh, the stuff projected behind them, like time and yeah, all that. Yeah, he did. Um, he did like he did the flying clocks for time. Incredible and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, okay. he's a completely incredible like animator. And that video especially, and that was basically, I think Russell Mulcahy called him up because they knew each other, but it was, you know, it was totally different. Like, I think the band was so busy at that point, you know, that they signed off on everything. And I think this, this is a very much a Nick Rhodes video because it's very influenced by Helmut Newton and, you know, it's very brutalistic. And so it's very, very kind of Nick Rhodes style. And I think, you know, he shot this whole, you know, Ian shot this whole thing and he worked with some like really, um, uh, you know, really, really talented, like cinematic people. So it, I mean, this is stylistically, it's so different than everything else in Rio. It's like black and white. Right. Perry Lister, who is Billy Idol's girlfriend forever. That's one of the women in there too. Um, and so, yeah, it's, you know, and it's funny because Duran Duran, they haven't played it on in recent tours, but they project the video behind them when they do play. And so and like Simon will come out with a chauffeur hat and he'll kind of like stride on out and they'll have the video <laughs> behind them. And it's amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, and everyone loses their shit. Yeah. And the thing is, Ian, uh, you know, why I think he was also um, approached is that it was supposed to have more animation on it. Like kind of like Tron, like I think is how he described it. To oh, me. OK. That makes sense. Exactly. And so it ended up like they ran out of time or, you know, because right. everything was so compressed at that time. So it was potentially going to be a little bit different. Um, but. I mean, I still still think it came out amazing. It's this really like, you know, kind of interesting, weird little curio of, you know, Duran Duran's um, history. And because that is what is so funny is that, you know, you're kind of talking, they could have been positioned in a totally different way. You know, I always tell people that like, I'm glad they're putting out a Halloween record because I'm like, look, Duran Duran is way darker than you think it is. Like, you can laugh at me all you want, but seriously, they are like, you know, you look at the side two of Rio, you look at some of their earlier stuff, some of their videos, like they could be like a very post-punk sort of band. They had all these videos that, you know, everyone, they're very colorful and handsome, you know, they turned into kind of a pop band, but they've always, they never really lost that kind of art school, you know, gothic vibe that's always kind of there and so no if chauffeur was number two oh. in the number two track on rio side one you'd be like oh okay <laughs> exactly okay in your book they talk about rio kind of being the end of innocence for them a mm-hmm. bit what what did they mean by that was it just like at this point things were too big and they just didn't have as much control or you know i think it's a little bit of a little bit of both and so you know what's 
you know, I think now when we talk about like younger bands and musicians, we're a little bit more um, enlightened and we talk about like, you know, mental health and we talk about, you know, the impact of like stress on people and the impact of, you know, you know, we talked about how Duran Duran was really young, you know, when you're really young and all of a sudden right. you're very famous, that can cause a lot of stress, you know, because so, I mean, Duran Duran, they they basically, they signed their record deal in very late 1980. They released their debut record in 1981, went all around the world, toured the entire year. Then they had a tiny bit of break. They went right in 80, early 82, recorded Rio. Rio was a massive success in England and like UK. And so they basically, England is UK, duh, but England um, and Australia, they basically finished recording the record. They mixed it. They went to Sri Lanka. They went to Australia and Japan. And then they took a little bit of a break. And then they went touring again. They toured for the rest of the year. Then 1983 started and they had to make a another record right away because the record label needed another record. Right. So that's like three years, basically, of just a breakneck speed. And, you know, certain members of the band were definitely, you know, overindulging and, you know, being a little bit more debaucherous because first off, it was the 80s. And second off, that was just what you sort of did. And when you're young, you can do that. And I think it was just a little bit of everything from stress and overdoing it. And they really didn't take a break. They didn't really, they weren't given an right. option to take a break and say, hey, maybe you guys can take, you know, a couple months off and, you know, regroup and then come back. And I think, I think different, I think Andy Taylor may have said that in an interview at some point too, that like, had someone said, hey, can you guys just take a break? Things would have gotten a lot better um, because it was, because then everything, you know, Seven of the Ragged Tiger was a very difficult record for them to make. They'll be the first to tell you that. And so, you know, that was, that was recorded, that was recorded all throughout 1983. And, you know, the creativity was more difficult to kind of come and they were working with different people. And it was just, um, you know, they had gotten so famous so fast. It was just kind of like bedlam. It also seems like at this point, some of the videos were taking over from the music. I can see that. Some of these songs feel a little bit like, all right, I'm writing Union of the Snake. I see it as a video. I see it as a film. Wild Boys. Okay. Just the word Wild Boys. It's cinematic. And the videos definitely are even getting more elaborate, more expensive. It's it's time for another 30 seconds of Duran Duran imagery. Yeah. <laughs> so in the breakdown or the solo section of uh, Please, Please Tell Me Now, Simon exits an old government building and there are Magritte Bowler men reading newspapers. There's a dog on a leash sticking his head into an open briefcase. There's a row of Magritte men the bowler men all holding newspapers, stepping from behind columns, and they turn their head in unison. And a bowler man is using a camera to shoot a scene on the government building steps. And then a ball leaps up in the Simon's hand. He stares forward as a Magritte man quickly passes by. Then the Magritte men step behind the columns. And then there's an Alfred Hitchcock type zoom where they dolly away from him and pull in. Of Simon in the forest. Simon watches his older children chase a young kid who's holding a ball. They pass men measuring trees. They pass by some kind of offering in a pyramid. The boy runs by holding a, the red ball in slow motion. Townsfolk disappear in a vortex in the forest. Simon looking around confused. Some feet are swimming in the air before disappearing behind trees. Boy with red ball walks up to the pyramid. Then suddenly the red ball is bouncing along through the forest. That's like 30 seconds. And I feel like this is the era where they're starting to be like, what crazy thing can we do? Yeah. It's not really adding up emotionally or structurally or or storytelling wise it's a lot of simon looking really lost 
and every video like, what's going on? Huh? What's over here? <laughs> and whether it's Union of the Snake or Wild Boys, it's just kind of his his go-to at this point is, oh, I'm just in this weird situation, this Twilight Zone thing. I don't know what's going on. The video stopped speaking to me a little bit more at this point because I don't I don't know. They're just for a different audience at this point. It seems like they they have to go beyond the audience that they have. And so they're having to think bigger and broader and kind of more Mad Maxi now. It's, it's definitely a lot of Beyond Thunderdome, <laughs> yeah. you know, scaffolding and backlit things and animatronics and monsters and waters. It makes Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf look really like, oh, well, that's. That's the first Raiders is Rio and uh, Wild Boys is like the new Indiana Jones with a time travel machine. <laughs> yes. And see, it's it, the way you describe it is that like it, it's like Duran Duran created the monster, basically, because everyone because they set the bar so high. And then every they other did. band was like, well, OK, we can make these ridiculously elaborate videos, too. Maybe they have a yes. plot. Maybe they don't. And so. Then Duran Duran was like, oh, OK, we have to like we have to be better than all of them because we know we can be better. And so then everything got more elaborate. And so it, it was like a music video arms race in a way. You know, I always think of like, yes, like owner of a lonely heart. And like, I love that song. It is like it's so cheesy and so 80s. But like you watch that video and you're like, what is going on? I watched it recently. Yeah. And it's just like it's just befuddling. And so like I feel like that was sort of like 1983 was when music videos in general, because labels had figured out this is a good promotional tool. We can give some money behind this. And then everything just got out of control. Yeah. And it was like, what can we do? Where can we go? We, the sky's the limit. And I think Wild Boys is the perfect example of them at the height. And then it starts kind of backtracking. You can see the budget's getting a little smaller and the ideas still being big, but like maybe we have a little more green screen here instead of actual things. But Wild Boys... You know, he's attached to a, a, a giant windmill at one point and his head's being dipped underwater as a torture device and he's lip syncing. There's monsters in the water. There's a weird animatronic head, which must have been really elaborate at the time and very high tech. Again, a lot of scaffolding, a lot of like uh, a rescue mission by the band. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> like you're like, where's the band? And then all of a sudden like, oh. You know, Duran Duran, you know, SWAT team, of course. <laughs> I don't know if they can pull it off at this point. You know, they they seem almost like they just show up and someone's like, okay, here's what you're going to do. Instead of them being like, oh, you know what would be cool? It feels like they're maybe not as uh, involved anymore. Well, it's it's funny, though, because like when you're a teenage girl, the idea of, oh, my gosh, my favorite member of Duran Duran needs to be saved. Like, he's, he's in danger. Yeah, that's sure. I get it. Man. That's totally like, I totally, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Sure. And, you know, in like Wild Boys, I think Russell envisioned that as being like a, like a teaser for um, a movie he was going to do. So okay. that like makes a little, I don't know if Duran Ram's going to star in that or not, but like just sort of like gives proof of concept in a way. But, um, but yeah, it was, you know, it, it, I mean that when you talk about like things were just like things had really ballooned that was i think wild boys especially like you know i think it cost over a million dollars which was just wow. unheard of at that point and you know it was a one-off single like you know they did it and it ended up being i didn't know that yeah i mean it was okay. i think it was it was appended to arena and so that was what's so weird is that the studio track in the middle of like the live record and so that was you know a little okay. bit odd but um but yeah it ended up and 
you know, it that's such it's such a weird video. And it's funny because that's they use that imagery for the the song live um to this day. So like that's like the video like projecting, like it, it's they have like the 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 weird like faces that kind of look around. There's like digitized yes. versions of that. So that that plays behind them. So that's still very much in play. But yeah, that video, I, I almost find it hard to watch because it's just like it's 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 so realistic. It is so suspenseful and it's so over, um, over the, the top. top. Yeah. And like the earlier videos are so they're almost quaint because they're sort of art schooly and like they are. They're art school. Yeah. And they're very they have a lot of personality. And it's like you can see the individual band members. You absolutely can see why they became so popular because you could see everyone come out and then. You know, I think you could definitely see it was hard, I think, for somebody, you know, and people have been very open that like, you know, things just got too big too fast. And it's like, you know, I sure. need to take a break. Like Roger Taylor left in 1985. And I think you can see him, especially in some of these videos. He just looks so miserable. Like, yes, he does. Like, you know, and so you just want to give him a hug. You just want to be like, I'm so sorry. You know, you want to be. I'm so glad you mentioned it because I Roger Taylor, like I'm drawn to him whenever he's in the video because I want to be like, you OK? Yeah, you something? exactly. Everyone else is like a little bit more sparkly and a little bit more on the run. And uh, yeah, that's it's it's really interesting to watch. And I mean, obviously, these videos are iconic and really revolutionary. And yes. it's hard to state how massive and important these videos were in terms of just world building and where the music industry was at the time. And of course, you know, by the time this is out, Reckoning's already come out and Zen Arcade and Double Nickels and Let It Be, you know, it's just weird that at the same time, there's still this big, expensive world that was still, they were still selling records at this point, correct? They were still a big deal. Yeah. And it it is, it it's, you know, I think that's just when you look back at the 80s and this era in general, it is so interesting to how many like different parallel streams of that, because you did, you had all of this like, you know, Husker Du and the replacements and REM doing their thing. And then you had these like mega pop bands and you had the synth pop acts and it was just, you know, it was like night and day. It was just like such a yeah. different world. And you know, it just the idea that all of them are coexisting at the same time, like it is a little bit like mind bending, especially now, because I think, you know, I think now people see, you know, alternative music and everything is kind of on the same continuum in a sense. It's the everything's a little bit blurrier. But at the time, I mean, as you will speak to, it was just like, you know, the never the twain shall meet. It was like you know, then you had the metal like, you know, Metallica was out at that point. So you had that whole strain like. You know, I, th I think, uh, you know, not, not to sound ancient, but like, I think kids today are very, are a little bit more open-minded about what they listen to. They're not like, oh, I only like this. Or I only like that. They like a lot of different things. And I think that was very different at that point. No, you, you definitely, it was, um, you picked your teams and music was such an identity and you used it as a shield. I mean, you yeah. were picked on for liking the wrong thing. And Maybe. so that made you either give up or double down, you know, at a certain age when you double down and you're wearing your Kreutzen shirt or your butthole surfer shirt, you're like, I'm here. Deal with it. Yes. I was really excited that somebody wanted to talk about music videos because, again, they they really did form me before I saw any, you know, music documentaries or things like that. I, I just love um, talking to someone who obviously their visual identity as much as their musical identity just formed you. And I think it's so cool that 
you know, you've interviewed them, you still go to the shows, you've written books um, about Duran Duran. I think it's really, I think it's fucking cool. So <laughs> I just wanted to say Thank that. You. <laughs> so here's where we're going to get into the real deep things. I have a few more questions for you. Um, okay, push come the shove. Which Duran Duran video is your absolute favorite? You know, it's funny. It's, it's actually one we didn't talk about. And it's actually funny. I think it's one that the band isn't necessarily super fond of, but it's New Moon on Monday. I don't know that one. It's so it's this is another one. And like we talk about um, music videos that are just like, wow, that there's a lot going on there. Um, there are I need to look this up because okay. the music video um, there. There again, there are multiple versions of it. So they they filmed it in France. Um, there are there's a 17 minute version of the video. 17? Um, 17 minutes. Um, I. I'm not sure where that aired. It might have been. It might have been on MTV like once. I think it's on YouTube now. But then there's also like there's you know a shorter version. Um, there's one with like a, a spoken like intro, and I think there's a version without that. You know, dancing on the Valentine. I think there's also like another version of it. It's like there's a DVD compilation that has them all. Like being a Duran Duran completist is so frustrating. If you're like, I'm a Virgo. <laughs> so like being being a Duran Duran completist as a Virgo is like just like makes me twitch because that you just uh -huh. you, you can't do it. Like I even when I interviewed Nick, I even asked him, I was like, I've seen all these things about these different remixes. And he's like, Yeah, I don't even know. Like there's just so many floating around of like different things. But you're like, but tell me, give me the sign. <laughs> exactly. I need, I need an answer. He doesn't even know, just because there's just so many, and like there's different versions. Wow. Like, you look at something like Hungry Like the Wolf. There was like, you know, a version on a promo that's different than, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just it'll it'll hurt your brain. And fact checking. I'm so sorry for no. you. I I feel for you as a completist myself. I feel for you. And fact checking a book, let me tell you, you know, because I'm like, oh, my God, if I fuck this up, I'm going to like, you know, I have to I'm going to hear from so many people about this. Right. So, yeah. Um, but no, New Moon on Monday. And I like I mean, first off, it's, you know, it's, you know, the storyline is the storyline. You know, I like it. Apparently, it's like there are members of an underground resistance movement called La Luna, which I just, you know, it's so ridiculous, but it's also like so hilarious. And I love the song. And like, but at the very end, like they're going through this village and there's like fireworks and they're all kind of like together. And it's just like, just very sweet. Like, it seems like, um, you know, they're all very kind of like, you know, it's that brotherhood that they kind of have. And, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure why they're not the, uh, oh yeah. Wikipedia says Andy and Nick Rhodes say that's their band's least favorite music video. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So Andy Taylor wrote in his memoirs, everybody hates it, particularly the dreadful scene at the end where we all dance together. But you love it. So, I think it's great. I think it's charming. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I think that. But I mean, you know, there's so many videos. You know, they have um, one of my other favorites. I, I can't just choose just one. Um, <laughs> there's there's one called Girl Panic. And it's from one of their later records. It's from All You Need Is Now. And what the, the premise of the video is that basically there are all these supermodels that are playing the members of Duran Duran. And so, and the members of Duran Duran are playing journalists interviewing them. So first off, as a journalist, I absolutely love the conceit. But second off, it's so funny because all the, all the, um, all the supermodels like take on like exaggerated versions of like Duran Duran's personality. 
it is so funny. And I think people do not under like get the like the humor in it. So that's and it's that's another one that I think like a seven minute version and there's a regular version wow. and but that's another one I really like. And of course I love all the early ones. Like pretty much like everything on the, the video album, you know, I could watch them over and over again. Well, if you could be one member of Duran Duran, who would it be? Oh my God, that's such a difficult one. You know, I think who I could be, you know, probably Nick. And I will say that because, you know, like I've, I've probably talked to him. I've interviewed everybody in the band, but I've talked to him the most because okay. he was very generous with his time with his book. And, you know, I think we really get along because like both of us are perfectionists and, you know, very much like, you know, kind of you know, we, we do our own thing and are very, you know, love music too. I mean, I think that's the other thing is that when you talk to Nick, like he's still very enthusiastic about like new music, like, like Simon is as well. And just about being creative and pushing things forward and doing like, you know, what's this new technology? He's very curious. Yeah. He's never lost that curiosity. And so I really relate to that. Um, so probably Nick. Also, he has like the most amazing suits, <laughs> like unbelievably. I, I I can't even tell you. Like in Pittsburgh, it was like this silver suit that was kind of iridescent, and then last night his suit was like light turquoise and like same thing, kind of shimmery, just unbelievable. And so I'm I'm jealous of his outfits because I wish I could find like cool clothes. Oh like my that. god! So I could be cool clothes, playing the yeah. keyboards, looking awesome being create like it's you know going to see art museums like just amazing so wow. i love talking about yeah. this because i like the things that i love i'm a super fan as well so i'd be the one person who would notice oh yeah that this is totally different he's wearing a different you know like this is a different shade of green tonight um is is there <laughs> yep. a, is there a duran duran song that never got a video that you wish they had made a very good question you know probably you know so at, at some point I believe there was a plan to make a video for every song off of Rio and they got close you know I think there's a video for the the disco version of my own way that everyone has sort of disowned because it's like this completely bizarre they love doing that they love making these things and disowning them well so that that it's funny that song is like the like so that that song they 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 penned really early. They played that live all okay. throughout 1981. It was like this very different version. And then they basically, you know, went to New York and like dance music and they made this version with these disco strings. And it was weird because I didn't even this was a version I didn't hear for a long time. It wasn't until kind of YouTube came around that I was like, what is this? And everyone sort of agreed, yeah, this kind of didn't work. And so they redid it for Rio in a different way. Um but anyway, I think New Religion. I absolutely, I love that song. I think it's it's so moody. And I think that it really would lend itself to a really interesting kind of evocative uh, music video. So I think I think that's the one. I'm shocked that you said that. I, I didn't know there wasn't a video for that. I'm really shocked too. No. I mean, in on, in terms of Rio, like the only videos or songs that have videos are Hold Back the Rain, New Religion, and Last Chance on the Stairway. I didn't know that. And that's so, amazing. Yeah. And like any of them would actually have be great for that. But New Religion, especially live, is just it's just so, so cool, too. And so, um, yeah, so I, I think they could have done something pretty cool with that. But maybe they still will someday. Who knows? Sky's <laughs> the limit. I love that. Well, at the end of every interview, I ask uh, 
the same question, but I tailor it, no pun intended. I was going to say, I see what you did there. Yes. To the uh, the film or the projects we're talking about. So on a scale from one to 10, with one being the lowest and 10 being the highest, how many dips of Simon Le Bon into murky monster-laden water while he's strapped to a windmill do you give these videos? Do you give him one dip or 10 dips into the monster water strapped to a windmill? See, that's a philosophical question because like murky <laughs> monster water, you, you, know, you want to have a little bit of exposure to that because who knows what like sort of illness and like bacteria is in that. Right. But at the same time, that's so epic that he's doing it. And that's like the pinnacle of his like music video acting. <laughs> I'll, I'll, give, I'll give it an eight. That is the right answer. That is perfect. Uh, it was so great to see you. I really appreciate this, Annie. Thanks so much for doing this. This is so much fun. Thank you so much. I love talking about Duran Duran for, you know, I never get tired of it. No, it's great. And everybody check out her book. I'll put uh, links to it in the show notes. And I hope to see you next time I'm in Ohio. That's a deal. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Revolutions Per Movie. We release new episodes every Thursday. So be sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the show. And if you've enjoyed this, it would mean a lot to me if you would rate and review it as well. You can follow us on social media at Revolutions Per Movie and also find out more information about our various guests in the episode show notes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.